Welcome to the February 10th, 2022 episode of Blood Podcasts, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. On today's podcast, we'll look at research demonstrating that the histone acetyltransferase HBO1 is an essential regulator of hematopoietic stem cell function during adult hematopoiesis. Next, we'll review a large combined analysis confirming the prognostic value of MRD assessed with next-generation sequencing in four randomized trials evaluating daratumumab-based therapies. We'll conclude with research demonstrating that ferroptosis, a specific type of regulated cell death, is a key mechanism of cardiomyopathy in sickle cell disease. The first article is entitled, The Histone Lysine Acetyltransferase HBO1, or CAT7, Regulates Hematopoietic Stem Cell Quiescence and Self-Renewal. And the first author is Eugene Yang of the University of Melbourne in Australia. In this article, Yang and co-authors report that HBO1 plays an important regulatory role in the maintenance of the blood system through histone acetylation and transcription of genes in hematopoietic stem cells, or HSC. Histone acetylation is an important epigenetic modification that changes the architecture of chromatin by acting to unfold it, which facilitates access to DNA for transcription or replication. Acetylation of histone 3-lysine-14, or H3K14AC, is found throughout gene bodies and promoters and is considered a hallmark of active transcription. H3K14AC is established primarily by HBO1, a widely expressed member of the mist acetyltransferase family that is essential to mammalian development. HBO1 and its cofactors work together with other epigenetic regulators in various complexes, such as MLL, to promote epigenetic and transcriptional activation. It is known that loss of HBO1 impacts gene expression and cell viability during embryogenesis and the development of T-cells. Notably, the HBO1 gene is also essential to leukemic stem cell progression, suggesting that its product might be an attractive therapeutic target. Building on those observations, Yang and colleagues sought to further investigate the function of HBO1 in adult hematopoiesis. Their data, as reported in the current edition of Blood, is based on mouse models in which exon 1 of the HBO gene was deleted using Cre-recombinase transgenes that could be induced either via MX1 or tamoxifen. They observed that, in the absence of HBO1, adult mice went into terminal decline due to hematopoietic failure within two to six weeks following HBO1 deletion. In competitive transplantation experiments, donor bone marrow cells lacking HBO1 failed to repopulate, with no detectable contribution to peripheral blood at four to 16 weeks. HBO1 deletion was further shown to also cause a rapid loss of hematopoietic progenitor cells. Furthermore, HBO1 loss led to a high rate of recruitment of quiescent HSCs into the cell cycle, according to investigators. This produced progenitors at the expense of self-renewal, leading to exhaustion of the HSC pool. They also found that genes critical to HSC quiescence and renewal were downregulated after HBO1 deletion. These included GATA2, MPL, PBX1, MIS1, and HOXA9. Yang and co-authors also found that HBO1 was required for H3K14AC, consistent with what had previously been reported. Altogether, these investigations showed near-complete genome-wide loss of H3K14AC, 
which investigators said reflected a loss of this epigenetic mark at most genes, including important HSC genes. A commentary on this research was provided by Fadi J. Najem of the Broad Institute at MIT and Peter Van Galen of Brigham and Women's Hospital, who state that the present study in blood provides important new insights on the role of HBO1 in normal HSC function. The analyses of hematopoiesis in the absence of HBO1 paints a clear picture of the resulting H3K14AC loss, downregulation of HSC genes, increased stem cell proliferation and differentiation, and reduced replenishment of mature blood cells. Furthermore, the study establishes essential knowledge that could translate into the development of therapeutic epigenetic modulators. Other investigators have identified HBO1 as a critical regulator of leukemia stem cell maintenance and developed an HBO1 inhibitor that they said was effective in primary AML cells. However, the suitability of acetyltransferase inhibition as a therapeutic approach may be complicated by their diverse effects in a variety of cell types, including maintenance of normal HSCs, as shown in the present study. According to Najem and Van Gelen, these various effects will need to be taken into account as therapeutics are developed. Taken together, results of the current investigation by Yang and co-authors highlight the role of histone acetyltransferases such as HBO1 and the regulation of adult hematopoiesis. They demonstrate that loss of HBO1 in adult mice leads to hematopoietic failure that is due to exhaustion of the HSC pool and a loss of progenitor cells. Thus, HBO1 promotes expression of a transcription factor network that is essential to the maintenance and self-renewal of HSCs. The next research article is entitled Prognostic Value of Minimal Residual Disease Negativity in Myeloma Combined Analysis of Pollux, Castor, Alcyon, Maya by Michele Cava of the University of Bologna in Italy, along with an international group of colleagues. The results suggest that MRD negativity with complete response or better may represent a therapeutic goal and prognostic factor for clinical studies. The therapeutic advances seen in multiple myeloma in recent decades has been remarkable, leading to a near doubling in patient survival times. However, this has created a new challenge in clinical trials. When patients live longer, more time is needed to demonstrate a meaningful improvement in progression-free survival and overall survival. That's led to the exploration of alternative disease assessments that allow for efficacy assessment at earlier time points. Clearly, minimal residual disease has emerged as a leading prognostic factor in this respect. To date, there have been numerous studies and meta-analyses linking undetectable MRD to improved progression-free survival and overall survival. Unfortunately, the assessment of MRD has been inconsistent across studies. Going by the current criteria developed by International Myeloma Working Group, or IMWG, MRD should be assessed in patients achieving CR or better, using either next-generation sequencing or next-generation flow cytometry. The IMWG specifies a minimum sensitivity threshold of 10 to the negative 5, which effectively means that no tumor cells can be detected in 100,000 bone marrow cells. That leads us to the combined analysis by Cavo and co-authors, based on four phase three randomized trials of daratumumab-based therapies in patients with myeloma. In all four studies, MRD was assessed from bone marrow aspirates, evaluated with next-generation sequencing, and defined according to the minimum sensitivity level specified in IMWG consensus criteria. 
The Castor and Pollux studies included patients with relapsed or refractory multiple myeloma, while Alcyon and Maya enrolled patients with newly diagnosed transplant-ineligible multiple myeloma. In previously reported results for each of these studies, the daratumumab-based regimens cut risk of disease progression or death by nearly half versus standard therapy. The present analysis spanning the four studies includes roughly 1,100 patients with relapsed or refractory myeloma and 1,400 with newly diagnosed transplant-ineligible myeloma. The top-line numbers show that 16.7% of patients achieved MRD negativity, 34% achieved CR or better, and among those patients, 48.4% achieved MRD-negative status. For patients receiving daratumumab-based therapy, the MRD negativity rate was 26.8% versus 6.5% for the control group. Daratumumab-treated patients had a CR or better in 45.9% of cases versus 22.2% in the control group. Now for the key findings from the combined analysis. Progression-free survival was significantly longer in patients who achieved CR and had MRD negativity as compared to those patients who either failed to reach CR or were MRD positive. The estimated 48-month progression-free survival rate was 70.4% for patients with CR or better and MRD negativity, versus 23.9% for patients not achieving those two criteria. That translates into an 80% reduction of disease progression or death. Further analysis showed that the benefits were observed irrespective of therapy received or disease setting. In a commentary, Hong Quach of the University of Melbourne writes that this robust analysis confirms the prognostic value of MRD and supports its use as a surrogate endpoint in myeloma trials. Quach said the findings are valuable because MRD was assessed prospectively, uniformly, and according to IMWG criteria. To date, the lack of standardized assessment has been the biggest challenge in using MRD as a surrogate endpoint, causing problems with data interpretation and comparison in prior analyses. However, now there is an even bigger challenge on the horizon. Research is needed to determine how MRD status can be used to guide treatment decisions in myeloma patients. It's not clear, for example, whether therapy should be escalated for MRD-positive patients or whether salvage therapy is needed upon loss of MRD negativity, among other conundrums. The current combined analysis of Castor, Pollux, Alcyon, and Maya is a step toward this quest. At the very least, Quach said, it indicates that the use of MRD as a surrogate for progression-free survival is, quote, ready for prime time. The final article is entitled, Excess Heme Upregulates Heme Oxygenase 1 and Promotes Cardiac Ferroptosis in Mice with Sickle Cell Disease by Archita Venugopal Menon of Northeastern University in Boston and co-authors. While vaso-occlusive episodes are a hallmark of sickle cell disease, cardiac complications can also occur. A recent report based on cardiac magnetic resonance imaging showed that up to 60% of patients with sickle cell disease experience cardiac abnormalities, including hypertrophy, decreased left ventricular function, and valvular disease. The exact mechanisms of cardiac involvement in sickle cell disease need to be elucidated. However, it's clear that inflammation and oxidative stress contribute to the pathophysiology. As in other hemolytic disorders, sickle cell disease is characterized by an excess of circulating heme. Heme is catabolized by heme oxygenase 1, or HMOX1, 
which releases antioxidant metabolites, thought to be protective. However, HMOX1-mediated heme catabolism also releases free iron, which is linked to oxidative stress and damage to organs, including anthracycline cardiotoxicity. Prior studies also showed that under high oxidative stress conditions, HMOX1 is upregulated, causing an increase in cardiac iron accumulation. That leads to ferroptosis, a form of regulated cell death associated with iron overload conditions, and impaired cardiac function. With these observations in mind, Menon and co-investigators sought to determine the impact of excess heme on cardiac ferroptosis in sickle cell disease. They used the Towns mouse model of sickle cell disease and studied hemoglobin SS sickling mice and age-matched, non-sickling littermates that had sickle trait. Their findings show that cardiac ferroptosis is associated with upregulated HMOX1, which might result in impairment of cardiac function. Similar to patients with sickle cell disease, the sickle cell mice had increased serum heme levels and depletion of the heme scavenger protein hemopexin, resulting in an increase in free heme. Hemopexin supplementation restored serum heme levels and corrected cardiac damage in sickle cell mice, while no effects were seen in sickle trait mice, altogether suggesting that cardiomyopathy in sickle cell disease is driven by excess heme. Furthermore, cardiomyopathy in the sickle cell disease mice was associated with upregulation of cardiac HMOX1. Administration of hemopexin corrected HMOX1 upregulation, providing evidence that cardiac HMOX1 is regulated by systemic heme. Researchers also examined the downstream effect of elevated cardiac HMOX1 and found evidence consistent with ferroptotic damage, including elevated levels of a lipid peroxidation marker and a ferroptosis marker in the hearts of sickle cell disease mice. Moreover, administration of hemin, a known inducer of HMOX1, led to lipid peroxidation and ferroptosis, whereas ferroptotic damage was corrected by an inhibitor of HMOX. These results identify heme oxygenase 1 as a key player in promoting cardiomyopathy in sickle cell mice. The researchers also applied two small molecule inhibitors of ferroptosis, which corrected cardiac damage. By contrast, use of a ferroptosis inducer exacerbated cardiac ferroptosis in the sickle cell mice. Altogether, these observations show that excess systemic heme in mice with sickle cell disease upregulates heme oxygenase 1 and promotes cardiac damage through ferroptosis. However, further studies are required to evaluate if additional mechanisms also contribute towards cardiovascular events in sickle cell disease, including other hemolytic products, such as hemoglobin, which can scavenge nitric oxide. In a commentary on this study, Nippon Shatipakorn of Chiang Mai University in Thailand said these findings identify cardiac ferroptosis induced by excess iron as a key mechanism responsible for cardiomyopathy in this murine model of sickle cell disease. Chatipakorn also said the findings point toward the potential for new therapeutic approaches to either prevent or treat adverse cardiac events in sickle cell patients. However, the pathophysiology associated with impaired cardiac function in sickle cell disease is complex, with some pieces still missing in the, quote, jigsaw puzzle. He said further studies are also needed, for example, to uncover the roles of cardiac mitochondria in cardiac dysfunction in the sickle cell disease model. It's also possible that other forms of regulated cell death, such as necroptosis, pyroptosis, and mitochondrial-dependent cell death could be implicated in cardiac damage and impaired function sparking a need for further research. Chatipakorn concludes that the findings from these studies may, quote, 
pave new ways to provide better means to fight cardiac complications in sickle cell disease patients. You have been listening to The Blood Podcast. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to www.bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode. Thank you for listening.